Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. On this episode, this is our third live stream, the audio from that. Uh, me, Scott Buckley, and Dan got on uh, a call together. So a lot of people are familiar with Scott Buckley. He's a great hunter, originally from Michigan, and now lives in Iowa. So with that, before we get into the podcast, got to thank my two sponsors. The first being Stealth Outdoors. Lou and the guys at Stealth Outdoors, great people, great company, great product. Uh, if you need any silencing tape, get on their website and order you some cell strips. Also, big shout out to Exodus Outdoors. They got a pretty cool thing going on this month. Kind of like last month, you got a it's a camera trading program. Except for this month, it's actually any camera working or not working. It doesn't have to be an Exodus Trail camera either, and you'll get. Uh, $75 off for trading in a working or non-working camera of any brand. Great cameras, great company. Go get you one at a discount by trading in an old piece of crap camera. Sorry about my dog whining in the background. He wants out the door right now. And uh, yeah, I want to get this recorded before I mess with him. So anyways, thanks guys for listening. Uh, if you haven't kept caught one of the live streams, get on there. It's super, they're super fun, super cool, super interactive. I think everybody is liking them. And let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, you may notice we're missing a, a, a scraggly-looking feller. He's uh, in a business meeting, believe it or not, tonight. So he is going to hop on here in just a, uh, a little bit. Uh, Dan, he's going to um, finish up that meeting and then hop on. He told us to go ahead and get started, which is one of the reasons why we pushed her back a couple hours just so we could be on here, not not miss the whole thing. So if you're here from Dan, for Dan, just hold on. He'll be here. Um, also, guys, this is our third live event. I think they've they've gone really well, and I appreciate everybody hopping on. It's been super fun. I think it's a, a cool format. I think everybody kind of knows the spiel now, but on the right side of your screen, you can leave some comments and ask questions. And then Jacob's kind of going to field those for me, and then we'll bring bring him on uh, after we're done chit chatting and uh, talk to to Scott about those questions and Dan and myself. Um, also, if you want to call in, shoot me a message on Facebook. Um, just look up Josh Talker, um, and then I can have you come in. And if you want to talk live on the on the channel, um, uh, also I I've been reading about doing these streams. I guess I'm supposed to like acknowledge that most people that watch this are actually not on here live it's because we you know we get a couple thousand people watch them after the fact so if you're just watching and not live make sure you leave a comment and uh subscribe to the channel it always helps so um scott so far we're at our highest number of uh participants here starting off so good you must have been my big my big draw here so far <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> so uh guys if you don't know um if you don't know Scott, um, he's a, a now an Iowa resident. He hasn't always lived in Iowa, if I'm not mistaken, right, Scott? Yeah, 13 years been here. Yeah. Um, and honestly, uh, this is my first time talking to, to Scott. Um, we've chit-chatted on Facebook Messenger, but uh, obviously we've um, most people probably have heard of Scott's. Can you give us like your um, overview of, of yourself and kind of your hunting background, Scott? Yeah, I'm from Iowa, like we said. Um, I've been here 13 years, come from Michigan, um, born and raised on the east side, up in the thumb of Michigan. Um, came here 
kind of, I used to come hunting here as a non-resident and um, I was in construction. Things got slow and in 2008, 2009 when we had to crash and because I always wanted to retire out here and I thought, man, this is a perfect opportunity for me to jet out here. And, you know, I was working for builders and everybody was going under and came out and looked for work and um, had a builder call me and I, on a week's notice, I was out here working and, and um, I've been here ever since I, you know, I, I ended up, my kids stayed home a couple of years with girlfriend and, and then they eventually moved out here and, and um it's it's been great ever since I came out. Um, been hunting since been deer hunting since I've been twelve years old. Um, hunting deer. I started out with a recurve. My parents got me for Christmas, and this is a long time ago. It's I'm mid fifties, so then we're talking what 40, 40 some years I've been hunting. Yeah, <laughs> bow hunting, yeah. and um. Yeah, I hunted with a recurve when I, I know I got it for Christmas that one year when I was 12 years old and I went out back and I remember jumping up deer and back then I didn't know nothing, you know, I, my dad wasn't a bow hunter. I remember just flinging arrows at deer running across the fields and I think it was a couple of years later I killed my first deer with a, I ended up getting a compound. I think I started out with the, the Dart and SL50s and since yeah. then I probably killed, um, I don't know probably 150 deer with a bow i would say i used to keep track i was up to 60 80 of them before you know i quit keeping track but kill a lot of does you know just i love my bow and arrow and um i don't know what i've got for bucks but a lot of them and yeah i used to travel when i first kind of before i came to iowa i used to travel a lot of states used to i've hunted in i've hunted and killed kill bucks in kansas nebraska Ohio, we used to go down, when I lived in Michigan, we used to go to Ohio a lot. We had a couple of properties. We um, hunted down there. Um, little public, but we used to get permission on some private ground down there in a couple of different counties. We hunted Muskegon, Vinton, Ross um, were the three most. Um, I hunted in Ontario one year, in eastern Ontario, where you don't need an outfitter. I think up around Kingston, took a nice buck out there with my bow. That was just going over, asking permission to, uh, mm. or maybe not Kingston. I can't, can't recall the city now. It was down in Lake Erie, I think, or mm. Lake Ontario. Um, where else? What time, of, what time of year were you up there doing that? In Ontario? Yeah. I mean, um, that was, I think, first week in November or something. I think okay. Yeah, that was probably around 2005 or so. It was a few years before I moved out here. Um yeah, because most time in Ontario, you got to have a non-resident, I always heard. Well, we did a lot of yeah. research, and you can actually on the eastern side, like from, I think, Toronto over, or, you know, somewhere in there, you could hunt without an outfitter. So we kind of researched the area. Um, the one I shot was probably only 100-inch deer, but we see we talked to some of the farmers. I mean, they, they were getting some huge bucks over there. I got the biggest shed I ever got. The farmer, he had it on his workbench and um, I never did score it, but yeah, I said, what's this? And he said, well, I hit it without the farm field one day with a yeah. jet. He goes, you want it? I mean, the things I'll grab it real quick. Yeah. Grab it real quick. That's the, the beauty of being uh, on video here live. Yeah. I mean, it was just, <laughs> Oh man. A tank of split, a jet. Of on it. And, um, 
that you can even see the I think there's a disc mark right there and yeah but yeah I was from yeah. Ontario I can't remember the county name but I'd have to research that but um where else have I hunted I don't know seven different states I've been in and killed bucks yeah. and all of them but and then I bought my or I didn't buy that's when I moved to Iowa and um we had so many opportunities for bucks here. I kind of quit traveling to the states, you know, because we're allowed a bow tag, you know, two statewide tags. You got your bow tag, your gun tag, and then if you're a landowner with more than four acres, I think you can get a landowner's tag. So, uh, kill a buck with that. So, so when I moved here, you know, I kind of quit traveling the different states just because I never knew if I was going to tag out. And with my work, you know, I. It's even though I'm a business owner, it's still tough getting off. We we just have a shortage of finding help, and yeah. So you know, I really it was hard for me. You know, I could say, well, if I killed a buck, go to another state, but <laughs> with my work, it's right. kind of tough. But still gotta still gotta have some yeah. money coming in for the bills and stuff, right? Yeah. Um. So you but, you went from uh, one extreme to the other, or, or the supposed extreme, the yeah. Michigan Michigan <laughs> to Iowa. Yeah, and the area I was in Michigan, Thumb. I mean, if we I kill a, I count on one hand the number of 100 inch deer I shot and, and, you know, all the years I hunted there. And that's kind of when I started, you know, traveling different states. It just didn't, I enjoyed yeah. shooting deer. Just, you know, I wanted to up my game a little bit and was just always traveling, trying to find a bigger deer. And, and, yeah. um, that was kind of, and from there, I just got hooked on Iowa, and then I ended up moving in 2009, and then I bought property in 2015, And but I still hunt. Like last year, I killed my – or I hunted on public, I think, all through October. I killed my buck, actually, on my farm October 31st, but up till that point, I'd hunted on public, you know, every chance I could every weekend. And Yeah. But – that's basically how I got started in hunting. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, it was my passion. My grandpa was a big influence on me. He used to travel all over the country and, um, he never bow hunted, but he hunted, you know, elk, moose, um, just everywhere in Canada, U S. Um, he even went to Iran back in the seventies when it was, you know, we were at peace with him. He hunted like seven different, sheeps up in the oh i forget the mountain range but he shot sheeps and ibex and stuff up in the iranian mountains and yeah so yeah i got my, yeah. my dad my dad hunted and you know small game hunted pheasant and shotgun hunted a little bit and he was you know influence on me but my grandpa's kind of where i got the hunting blood from yeah you sound like yeah you got it you got it honestly i did too my grandpa my wife will talk to my grandma and uh she said, if you think Josh hunts a lot, you should have saw his grandpa, you know, because <laughs> it, was, it wasn't just deer, because I pretty much just hunt deer now, and for yeah. him, it was, uh, it was um, whatever was in season, it was deer, and then it was coons, and then it was squirrels, and then it was rabbits, exactly. and it was coyotes, and uh, yeah. of course, back back then, some of that stuff, the the coons and the squirrel, or the coons and the coyotes, you can make some money uh, yeah. selling those, but yeah, that's uh, what so I was... got a we started right off the get-go when I was 12. Well, in Michigan, we had to start when you were 12 at the time. And, yeah, we were squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting. There yeah. was a few pheasants back then. Now in the area, I grew up in Michigan, there's no pheasants. We're all here in Iowa. We've got quite a few. But um, trapping, 
that was the first critter I ever trapped was when I was 12. I started trapping him. She caught my first muskrat in the ditch, dad's ditch, and and used trap coon and trapped my first fox like 13, 14 years old. And and now I do quite a bit of management trapping. Like I've killed over, I think it's well over 300 coyotes I've taken trapping, just trapping. Yeah. And, and I, I used to trap quite a bit in Michigan as just, you know, a hobby, sell the furs, but now it's more management on my two properties. Like I think we average probably about 15 coyotes a year. We've been getting off my, um, I have a 240 acre farm south of me here and then I have 23 acres where I live, but, but yeah, we've been averaging. It really helps the deer numbers too. It's, yeah. I, um, my, uh, my larger private farm that I can hunt, I don't own it, but, um, man, the coyotes are bad there. I need to probably get into to trapping. I got a buddy that, uh, well, I think he's on the chats here. Uh, Brad Crook, he, he came and hunted with us, um, the last few years. And I think last year he's, he's, he was in that area. And I think he saw coyotes every single sit and got a shot at him with a bow a few times, but oh, yeah. um, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, we grew up, I'm an outcast in my family, whether they're all uh, hound hunters, they like to, uh, Oh really? <laughs> yep. They, I mean, they're all deer hunters too, but they're, yeah. I think I would tell you, I would tell you their passion is, uh, my dad and my uncles are, are hound hunting. Um, they I do coyote, coyote hounds too. They do coyotes now. Oh yeah. yeah. Growing up, growing up, it was beagles. We had beagle hounds. Oh, okay. I, had, I had beagle hounds up until probably maybe eight years ago. I finally um, got, got rid of the pair I had. Oh yeah. Um, and they've transferred and my uncles have transferred over to, to running coyote dogs. But, yeah. I mean, around here, people are for the most part, you know, people are just like have at it. Like we, that's a problem, you know, coyotes. So oh, yeah. they don't have a, they don't have a, uh, a shortage of properties they can they can run their dogs on anymore yeah so, um what, what really limits them around here is the hills you know they they can't get their dogs up in those great big hills in the huger national and they'll lose yeah. one of them you know run so far um but anyway iowa i have down here my first point <laughs> um we could probably talk about the uh good old days <laughs> forever yeah exactly. uh, but um i want to talk to you about iowa and whenever you before you moved to Iowa, just before you moved, how many points did it take to draw an Iowa tag? Shoot, remember? we got bow tags every other year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, every other year. And that was in the good, you know, in the hot mm -hmm. spots in the state across the south. And, um, you know, northeast is a pretty hot spot up in there. Ellicomee County. Probably said that wrong. Um, but, yeah, every other year we would get them. And, and now... No, I mean, I've heard of guys, you know, with applying for their fifth fifth year and didn't get them last year. I mean, it was, it was you know, most guys are getting them on their fifth year. But I, I did so. hear a guy. Yeah, and that's what you're going on five in. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got four, four <laughs> I mean, points probably, and I'll have to. Yeah, uh, yeah, put yeah you should get it. But I did hear people talking, you know. But then we had COVID, so a lot of, I, a lot of my uh, – I know a couple outfitters and they kind of blamed, you know, COVID and a lot more people applying, you know, they didn't have work and um, whatever, or, you know, they're laid off. Yeah. People. I mean, I think, I think maybe, I don't know if you're laid <laughs> off, you're probably not going to go spend $700 on an Iowa. Yeah, exactly. or, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, what, what year did it really start shifting where that point creep went up? Cause that's kind of quick, right? I mean, that's from, 
Well, it's you know, been, I mean, that's 15 years ago. I think it was fairly gradual. I mean, it really jumped maybe the last four or five years, but I went yeah. from every second year to three and yeah, I think it's been pretty gradual. So over the years, yeah, they, they one thing, um, they, I think there's 6,000 non-resident tags. They a lot for, for non-residents. Um, I don't know the breakdown, but so many guns, so many boats. And yeah. every year they try pushing for more. Um, this year, actually, there was a bill. They were going to allow an extra 1,500 tags, which would have been 7,500. Um, and then for the first time, they were going to take 750 of them and it would be not by a draw system, but just go into a lot lottery. Well, it didn't. It didn't pass. Um, to most mm -hmm. of us Iowa guys, that's a kind of a good thing because, especially to me, it's. I think if we take another fifteen hundred people, I know non-residents want it, of course, but you take another fifteen hundred people. You know, there's already enough pressure in the first two weeks in November, and a vast majority of them are you know, just going to hit all the public lands. And, you know, that's what we're known for is, you know, not, you know, hunting pressure is low. And yeah. that's why I'm kind of glad they do it. I know it sucks for all you, you non-residents, but, um, you know, we put another 1,500 people on these public lands. And, I mean, they won't all, but if you got another 1,000 people, you know, Iowa, I think, has one – I. That's one of the lowest public land, you know, acres in the country, I think, of bird dirt. Mm -hmm. You know, there's pockets where they're big, but overall, compared to a lot of states, you know, we don't have the huge tracts of public like, like most states do. But so. Yeah. Um, something obviously Iowa is known for being one of the best, probably the best state to go and hunt big bucks in the country. Um, what are some factors you think? Uh, that make that a true statement for, for Iowa. Um, you know, is it because your gun season's super late in the year? Is yeah, it because of your. That's what I say is the biggest reason. Um, our gun season, um, we have two gun seasons and a late season muzzleloader. Um, our first gun season is usually the first Saturday of December. And I think it's. Um, I don't know. It's like five, six days long. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, and then the second gun season starts that following Saturday and that one lasts till the next Sunday. So kind of, you know, I, I don't know the breakdown, maybe 50% of the people. Cause you can, you can only as a resident, you can only pick either one gun tag. So you got to pick first gun, second gun or late season muzzleloader. So half of the guys, you know, if they think they hit take first season, you know, you're getting the first crack at the bucks, but you're limited to your time. You know, I don't know what it is, five days or something, where if you pick the second gun season, you have a whole eight days. Um, so it's, I guess I think it's about half and half. I, I, I think it is. And then right after that second gun season, usually, what is it, the I don't know if it's like the third Monday in December. It's usually around the 20, 20, um, low 20s, 22nd, 23rd, whatever that. I think it's a Monday. That's when our late season starts. 
and it lasts till January 10th. Um, that's the longest season. Um, you know, that's the season I like. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I factor the biggest thing. Why we have the most deer. The second one in my book would be lack of hunting pressure. Um, I did a little research into it, and I, from what I've seen, Iowa only has a little over 200,000 deer hunters across the state, compared to Wisconsin has a little over 600,000. So, I mean, you can see the the big difference there in, in numbers, and, you know, Michigan, I don't know what that is, but I know it's over half a million. Um, we just don't you know, have the hunter numbers here. It's really rural. That's another thing. We're, we're really rural here. A lot of big sections. Um, I know like across Southern Iowa and you can go sections that are, you know, a few miles, a few miles long, you know, they might be a couple miles wide, you know, by five, six miles deep. Um, so you don't have roads in there. I mean, that's huge. A lot of areas yeah. have them blocked off mile sections and the deer don't really got much where to go, you know? Um, so I think that's big. And then of course we got genetics. I mean, that's one of the, you know, big factor. I think a lot of high pressure States, like I know Michigan, I, I know they got good genetics. They just kill them all when they're young, you know, so they don't have a right. chance to, to grow, but, um, we do got good genetics. Um, it's kind of, you know, our soils are some of the best in the nation. As you know, probably everybody knows Iowa's full of corn and beans. So right. all, my, all my friends, when I moved here in Michigan, why do you want to live there? All that we drive down through Iowa and all we see is corn and beans, you know? That's why. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you mm. get into some areas of the state, especially with the better hunting, there's a lot of rolling hills and it's just beautiful. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the nutrition here, I mean, they have all the you know food they need and, and it's good soil good minerals in the soil i mean that all you know hand in hand good crops good minerals whatever in the soil but i would say i mean that's kind of the biggest reasons for um I mean, do, you, do you uh you know we you talked about pressure um and obviously iowa is one of the hardest states to go hunt white-tailed deer uh, yeah. in, in the country and do you i guess and not to get political with anything but like is it is the is the government that controls the the rules for the the dnr or whatever you guys call yeah. it in iowa um are they i mean do you, are you guys in iowans are you guys uh you know happy about what they have done in iowa um you know like i i, I think indiana does a fairly good job as well um we have probably like a happy medium, I would say compared yeah. to, you know, it's not, it's not a, a Michigan, but it's not a, uh, it's not an Iowa either. Yeah. Um, I, I would say overall, I mean, most of your serious deer hunters I know and the chatter I hear is positive towards Iowa. And of course, you know, you could change some things, but I mean, you get on these Facebook groups, of course you got all your haters. All right. Saying, you know, they're always just bad mouth and everything that their state does, but I, most of oh, the yeah. serious people, I think, you know, we talk about there's no better. I mean, we have and yeah, it is our politicians that vote on a lot of stuff, which is scary. But and the DNR just puts in their input, you know, but um, 
you know, really can't complain. I mean, it's been fairly good. I, there is a couple subjects, um, like when they allowed straight wall rifles here, you know, where a shotgun, that's another big thing, you know. I didn't bring that up. I mean, that's huge. We're a shotgun only state until they allowed some of the straight wall rifles, which, you know, I like it for management on my farm, of course, you know, but a lot of guys, yeah. you know, they, you know, a lot of the serious guys are, you know, why, um, you know, change something that's working already. But, um, you know, we went to that. Um, I use a 450 during shotgun season when I'm doing management on my farm, but, um, what is another, I'm thinking of another thing. Um, yeah, some guys are complaining, you know, we take too many bucks, you know, we could take three bucks if we own a farm, you know, some guys yeah. are pushing for one buck, you know, we, I mean, we would be just, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the bucks everywhere. coming out of the state would just be incredible. They take over you know, everything probably, but yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, in Indiana every year, it seems like you get some petition, um, yeah. where it's essentially people just clump complaining about what's going on with deer season, whether it be yeah. our, 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 uh, gun season rifle season. Now it used to be shotgun season, just like Iowa. It's now you can use, you know, any kind of pretty much any kind of rifle, um, you know, it's, it usually starts like the 13th to the 15th of November, which is, yeah. a, you know, a pretty good time to be out hunting. Uh, and every year, you know, that, um, that argument gets brought up, like a big petition petition goes around. We need to sign this, get, get the gun season moved back. And we need to be more like Iowa. And I'm just like, man, not everybody can be like Iowa. You know, if, if everybody's like Iowa, there is no Iowa anymore. Yeah. Um, and then you can't go hunting anywhere either. Right. Like you can't go hunting anywhere for five years and, I think a lot of people forget that. Like, yeah, there is, there is the need for places to go and just go deer hunting, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was super cool and it's this majestic place to go. Yeah. Um, but I, if there, I meet if there so was many non-residents. I meet so many non-residents every year that, you know, it's just, they're just so excited. I mean, that's the yeah. <laughs> highlight of their career come to Iowa and yeah, some are successful. I mean, a business, big misconception is there's 170 inch deer behind every tree you know right. um you watch these tv shows and you know they're shooting giant deer on every single show you know well that's you know that's not true i mean some of them people even if they are big private landowners or celebrities or whatever you know they still hunt for their deer and they're selective and but you know, we do have a lot of deer, but there's not behind every tree. I, I would say the majority of my friends that come out, if, you know, if they have it, especially if they're hunting public land, they, they should have a chance at, you know, 130, 40 inch deer, um, maybe 150. And, and, you know, if you get lucky, you get something bigger. Um, I always encourage my friends, um, come out and scout, you know, this time of year, get out here, especially you got five years to draw a tag, come out and scout, you know, it's, um, before, when I was a non-resident, I mean, I took the kids every, for five, six years before I moved here, maybe longer than that, every spring break, I would bring the kids out to Iowa and I just spend a week scouting, you know, and as a non-resident, you know, and 
Yeah. I got to learn the land that way. And I, you know, if you, if you can get up on scouting, it increases your chances so much, um, you know, out there. I mean, you can come out and, you know, got a good chance, especially if you know what you're doing, you know, read sign and stuff. But the majority of guys just want to come hunting it's, or turkey hunting. You know, a lot of them states I hunted, I told you about Kansas. Um, I hunted there twice, two or three times, twice. Yeah, me and my dad, years ago, back in the mid-90s, we'd made, I made a turkey hunt that spring. So that gave me an opportunity to check all these areas out. We turkey hunted. We shot toms and... You know, I got to know the land, and I ended up, at the time, that was my first biggest deer. I shot a 6x6 six six and scored 148, I think he was, and um, on public land out there. You know, I scouted it in the spring, and a lot of them states, I'd, I'd go out turkey hunting or whatever. Um, I never did Ontario. I didn't pre-scout that, but, um, you know, that helps when you scout your property, so. Ahead yeah. beforehand. I went out uh I went out to Iowa in the unit I was I'm gonna hunt this year. Uh yeah, I seen that with your video. Which is four. Yeah, and uh not the unit, you gotta call them zones, I guess, zone four. And yeah. uh yeah, I, I was I mean, it was fun scouting just because the, yeah. the sign there, there's just a lot more sign. Uh obviously there's more bucks, they're gonna they got more competition between themselves and all that, so they're gonna lay down more yeah. more sign. Wanted to ask you something though about it. Where I I I picked up a few private land farms I can hunt. I have a um um a, an ex coworker that lives out there and his family farms and they're letting me go around um some of their farms. And uh yeah they were very upfront like you shoot as many deer as you want here. Like they, they, it's a, it's a problem that you could tell that it really bothers them. Yeah. And, um, the thing that I ran into there though, and it, and it was probably just the time of year that was frustrating was, um, man, there's a lot of cattle pastures everywhere. Yeah. They, there even, is. they, yeah, they even had their, um, you know, they had their crops fenced in there where they pick their crops or corn and they yep. had cattle in there too. Um, do you have a lot of experience out there hunting those big, um, you know, cattle farms or anything like that? I guess you got any pointers for that? Do the, you know, some people say deer don't like cattle. Some people say they'll live in there with them and, you know, spin um, around them. Um, I've got a little experience, not a lot. Before before I bought my house here, I run it for for five six years. Um, when I first came out here, that was a that was a hundred acres where where I was renting, and they let me hunt that piece behind the house for living there. Actually, I put yeah. some siding on the landowner's trailer, and I told him about outside your trailer if you let me you know, let me hunt that piece over the, where I was yeah. staying on this side. And yeah, they had cattle in there. It wasn't a lot. Hundred acres. There was probably oh I don't know fifteen, just fifteen cows. Maybe some young ones, you know, and and couple. Actually, our we had a couple horses out there, um, so it wasn't that bad. But I mean, it. I didn't see any any, you know, there wasn't a lot of them. So and they stayed more out in the pasture. I was hunting in the timber. I really didn't see, you know, it didn't affect them at all. Um, there's another place I hunted right close to there. They had quite a bit of cattle in their ground, and. You know, I, I, there was quite a bit of deer movement. I mean, unless the cattle are right there in front of you, yeah, it's probably yeah. going to 
you know, interrupted if, you know, let's say prime time, eight o'clock in the morning, November 1st, and a herd of cattle walks by your blind. <laughs> it might right. stop that hunt, but um, I don't think it's that bad. Um yeah. trying to think of another area. I hunted a piece of public. I was right on the edge of it, right on the edge of a cattle pasture. And, you know, I could hear cattle out there too, but I, you know, I was on the edge of the timber right on the line and I seen deer, but um, I've heard, you know, talk both way. I, I, I guess it depends on, you know, how open it is. If there's more timber, you know, the cattle are more than likely staying out in the open. Um, probably don't hurt it that bad. So, yeah, I, there was, there's one particular farm that he was letting me hunt and I was super excited about it because it was like, 350 acres and it was yeah um it had you know looked looked to me like it had from an aerial you know had lots of timber and would would, would be cover and whatnot and i got there and man the cows had just they had the whole thing fenced in and the, i mean the timber was bare you know how cows will just yeah. clean out of the woods and um you know they had of course they had the crops uh they had those fenced fenced in this time uh of year they had a you know one wire electric fence around it yeah. And, you know, they, they had horses in there too, running around with the cattle, like you just said. And, um, yeah, I, I, I got there and there was like some big sign around, but it just is, I don't know, you know, I had made a decision, like I'm going to go back in the summer whenever the crops are in again and kind of reassess the whole property. Cause I didn't know, maybe they had, you know, a couple, um, you know, that's a big area to be fenced in. I don't know how many cattle they had on it at one point in time between, you know, um, the winter time and, and when I was there in March, so I kind of assume maybe that those cows just rake, you know, you know, destroyed everything in those few months. And hopefully, obviously they're not going to have those, those cows in there when the crops are in. Um, so hopefully I'm going to go back to the summer and reassess that farm and see if it's, it yeah. is what I thought it would be, I guess, because, because it was, it was super confusing because there was no cover on the place because the, the cattle had everything eaten down to the ground, but then yeah. you go and there'd be some giant rub on, you know, one of the trees in the middle of, you know, in the, in the cattle pasture. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Been here before, you know, something like that, you know, at most places I hunted, it had quite a bit of cover where I can picture the yeah. areas you're talking, you know, it might, it's hard to say. Um, and, and yeah. maybe talk to farmer. I don't know. You know, some a lot of farmers will take them out of some areas. You know, come fall time, and then they'll put yeah. them more into their wintering areas or the, you know, the yeah. cornfields or, you know, kind of every situation is different. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm just planning on going down there, and I don't know, sometime this summer, and and uh, looking at the crops and you know if that woods is nice and thick again you know because there wasn't any the only thing that was in there when i was there was a few horses they had taken the cattle out but there was you know cow patties literally everywhere and it looked like they had a whole bunch of them in there at one point in time yeah um but i don't know one thing i didn't do while i was there i never really got to any public land and i know i think tim hinky's on here um he uh he was in iowa this uh last fall and killed that nice deer and he was telling me like man he goes it's there was a lot of people running around on public land that first couple of days i was there he he was getting a little nervous he said is that tim like, you yeah. talk about yeah tim okay yeah you're breaking up a little bit i don't know if it's on mine or not but you're kind of real scratchy oh sorry hope hopefully yeah. it's not uh hopefully i'm not having a episode one we we lo i lost audio in episode one but uh 
Can you hear yeah. me now? It, it, I can hear you. It's just real scratchy. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's on my, I don't have the, that service out here. So I don't know if it's me or you. You kind of sound like an alien a little bit. <laughs> let me do a little adjusting here. That's real like squeaky pitch, high pitchy noise. Oh, anybody else hearing that in the in the uh, chats, or is that just uh, just Scott? Yeah. yeah, see if anybody else hearing it because I'm having a hard time hearing you. Someone said you're out in the middle of nowhere, Scott. So maybe it's a uh, you're clear. <laughs> you're clear, Josh. So I guess we're. Uh, my wife just got on here and said. You're well, it might be me show. then. Yeah. Well, hopefully I can. Hopefully you can uh, hold, hang in there with us. If you, yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, I want to talk to you about you you get around a lot of public land in Iowa. Um, and you, we, me and you were kind of messaging back and forth before the, um, before the podcast earlier today. And you were saying, uh, you know, you like to, you'd like to talk about using some, some winter tactics to find new areas and trail cameras and how, how you kind of go about uh, doing all that. Um, how, how would you go about finding areas in Iowa? And I know you're obviously living there, so it's a little easier for you, but yeah, I was going to come out and scout. I think I heard everything you said. You're really broken up. I think you're talking about like my wintertime scouting and stuff like that. You can hear yep. me all right? I can hear you fine. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're just real scratchy, but I think I got the gist of it. Um, yeah. I I mean, so some areas I set my cameras whenever, summer, you know, they'll sit, they'll sit from, you know, July, August through through March, you know, shed season, we're sometimes pulling them when they're losing their horns. Where other areas, like this year, last year, um, me and the boy, our deer season got over J- January 10th. And I think it was, we took a break first weekend or two, and then I think it was around the last week of January. We just got all the extra cameras we had. We pulled some off a of farm, and and we started hitting some of these public spots that, New new pieces, um, pieces that I hadn't checked out. If I knew there was, you know, food source, you know, whether on private land, you know, close to the public. You know, one area, in fact, I was just driving by in um, third week of, of January. And um, I don't know, I, I could see a tower blind kind of back in there and I glassed it. I mean, we're talking three quarters of a mile back off the road. And I seen a ton of deer out there and I could see the bean stubble, you know, they were in, I said, Cody, we're grabbing a bunch of cameras tomorrow and we're heading back into the public. You know, I know I've kind of hunted that area a few times and I know them deer come kind of come in and out of the public there. So we, I don't know, we set eight cameras back in there that day. That was like January 31st. And we pulled them, I think the second week or third week of March. And we just had tons of intel. I and mean, we had so many bucks that survived, shed bucks. Um, so that kind of gave us, you know, because that was one of the areas that got hit by EHD so bad, I kind of gave up hunting it for a couple years. So that just that intel gave me some, you know, looking forward to hunting in there next year. A um, couple good-sized deer, you know, I'll go in there this fall and summer and try to see if I can locate any of them. I'm not saying them deer are going to be right in that spot, but you know, I got, you know, gave me some hope. There's a lot of bucks left in there. I mean, we probably had 
dozen, 15 different bucks on camera after season, you know, in that period, February and March. And, um, but yeah, we did that on a lot of pieces and, uh, you know, I picked up a ton of Intel just by, you know, finding, um, some of my spots in another public land area, actually the DNR will have big bean fields put in Sogram fields and, and the same thing will go in after season. I mean, sometimes I'll go in during the, you know, muzzleload season, but usually we're busy hunting or whatever then. So we go in after season and just kind of put cameras around the, you know, the, the food sources and kind of take some, in, you know, inventory and see what's left. And, you know, I mean, if a 180, 200 inch deer shows up on camera, you tell, I tell you what, we'll be all over it the next year. So that's kind of what we're looking for. Um, and I, since January 31st, in the boy been averaging, I think about 10 miles a week. And we use Onyx maps a lot. I got two or three other map apps, but that's my big one, Onyx. We start the tracker, and it keeps track of our miles every day. And um, I think we figure we've walked way over 100 miles, you know, in the whatever, February, March, in a two-month period, probably eight good weekends, and maybe a couple days here and there, work days that we're off work because of the weather. But um, I've... I've walked pieces, you know, that I've hunted before, put cameras. Um, I've walked a lot of new pieces this year. Scout and find, just found some tremendous pieces. Um, just unbelievable sign. Found a lot, a few sheds, I think. When, when I go into an area, my boy, he's in that, you know, scoop up all the sheds he can, which a shed to me is a bonus. I'm more scouting, you know. I'm always trying right. to slow, I'm slowing him down all the time. He's like, wants to run and find sheds and I find, you know, buck sign, I start looking for a spot, put a tree stand that fall, you know, a setup. And I'm, you know, I'm, you know, once I find a good area, I'll try to find the tree first, you know, downwind of the trails and, and the setup. And then, you know, I'll just keep circling. Sometimes it takes me an hour, hour and a half to find the right tree, the right setup. And I'll just keep circling, looking for trails, looking for sign, you know, make sure I get the majority of trails you know, to my backside. So I'm downwind of the trails and, you know, it takes me and then I'll mark it on Onyx maps. And, um, um, I, that Onyx maps has been huge for me. I I've been using it probably now three, four years, you know, first it was, first it was marking a lot of foot, you know, marking stand locations, I guess was first. And then I started marking my footprints so I could get in and out of these big areas. You know, some areas we go back in a mile or two, you know, we get out in the dark um, before, you know, we used to compass or whatever. Now you just follow a foot track on your Onyx maps in and out. And the last two years, especially this year, I mean, I've been scrapes big rubs rub lines you know everything i mark on my onyx maps this year i marked so many primary scrapes the next fall i'll go back and you know i'll probably set cameras on these scrapes i got them all marked um probably in september and i'll just let them soak throughout the fall and you know if i'm back there hunting i'll check them if not i'll pull them in march you know so um yeah that's kind of some of my winter scouting is you know and we found a few sheds. I think we found, I think we're up to about, I don't know, 25 sheds on public. My biggest one I found on public, one of my hunting spots. I had a lot of pictures of this buck in September, October, and November. 
it scored 76 and a half, probably right near 170 inch deer, good mass, good long bane beams. Um, but I, where I wanted to hunt, I could only hunt one wind. It was along a river and that was Southwest. I mean, a little South, it updrafted up the river. If it was, you know, a little, um, um, West, it went up the edge and, Every time we went down, we had south winds. We could never get that southwest wind on them. And, but this year, I, I'm kind of on to them now. So hopefully we can get a crack at them. But I found that it's, it's kind of hard to go uh, shed hunting and scouting at the same time sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like but like I said, if I find one, it's a bonus. You know, I'll look around, but I'm always looking right. for you to sign. <laughs> So, uh, Dan is trying to get into the, the podcast right now. So, um, you're coming in a lot better too. Must just, okay. Good deal. Yeah. I can hear you now. Good, 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 good. So I'm going to let, we got two guys that want to call in, uh, and ask a question. So I'm going to let them come in and then, um, and I'm going to work on getting Dan in. So if I'm not paying, paying all the way attention, uh, we'll, uh, I'll let, uh, I'll let you answer the question. All right, Scott. Okay. All right. This is going to be, let's add uh, first one to the stream here. Brad Z. Hey. Yeah. This guy right here, I am 100% on killing bucks whenever I'm with him right now. Okay. He's your buddy. <laughs> yeah, I hunted with him and I uh, I went on one hunt with him in Wisconsin and shot a hundred and whatever, 37 inch. Oh, yeah. Buck. Cool. So. Um, this is really, what you can find around here. Oh yeah, I hear you. Really good. This is mittens. <laughs> I'll do. I'll do my best to answer questions. I get a little ADD going on sometimes. I get a little bit lost, but yeah, I always said I'm not the best teacher. I'm not the best um, talker, but I can kill shit. I guess that's all that's important. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, you're here, Scott. <laughs> Go ahead, Brad. Sure. I had kind of two part question because. I should be drawing a late season muzzleloader tag. Yeah. What zone? I know you mentioned zone nine earlier, but what zones would you recommend? And like what tactics other than find the beds and hunt the beds would you recommend when I mean, you're going to be hunting? You know, that's all you're there to do is hunt. So yeah, late, late in the afternoons, you know, we'll probably sit in the afternoons. We already know that, but yeah, late season, you said, right? right? Late yeah, season muzzleloader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or is there any zones to especially avoid? We're kind of choosing right now. Yeah, I th- I think um, late season is the least pressured of anything in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, gun seasons are crazy in Iowa. That's when all your locals, um, non-residents too, they get big groups. And, and Iowa is a huge, it's a party hunting state, so you can fill each other's tags and in big groups they push and the public lands just get hammered during gun seasons. It's amazing amazes me, you know, the amount of bucks that survive after these gun seasons. Um, you know, I can't even go down to some of my spots during gun season because I get depressed when I see all these yeah. guys pushing deer. Oh, but yeah, then after know. season, you know, all these bucks show back up, but so yeah, muzzleloader. I it, it gets really quiet muzzleload season. You don't. I mean, you don't see very many people at all, even on public lands. Um, um, I would say. I mean, I can't say a specific zone for you guys, but anywhere across the south. Um, 
Um, I I actually hunted the Lost Lost Hills when first time I ever hunted Iowa way back when muzzleload hunting. That's kind of way over on the west side along the I guess it's a Missouri River, okay. big hilly country. Um, we had a bad week because it it was zero degrees and two foot of snow. Like the two weeks prior, we got there, we had 50, 60 degree temperatures warm up. And we just, I mean, we, I, one buddy killed a, you know, um, 125 inch deer, but, um, do your research wherever you go, call the most of it. Some of these public areas, I don't know about all of them. Some of them I deal with, they, they have a, dnr i don't know what you call them headquarters or something where um a lot of them plant food plots i know one of my there's a lot of food plots and you can kill some bucks on them food plots um um just because there's not that much pressure some of them are way back in i i've seen food plots on some of these pieces that are you know mile back in three-quarter mile okay um most of them are beans and sorghum and they'll hit them sorghum fields. I mean, that's a tip for it. If, if, you know, just because you can't find beans, a lot of these bigger sorghum fields, the deer in public down here just swarm into these sorghum fields. Um, but the DNR, I mean, I know mine back when I first started hunting Iowa, they would tell you where the food plots were, give you a map with them. Now they won't do that no more. At least the guys I know, I'm good friends with one of the guys that plants them and, you know, he don't even really tell me, you know, because <laughs> he says that's part of, you know, that's part of hunting. It is, you know, you have to do research, but you can look on Onyx maps a lot and you can, I mean, you zoom in, you can see the food plots. But the next question is, um, you know, not every year will they plant on that same field. So you kind of got to do your homework, go in and look, see if it's there, see if it's ate out. Um you know, it's going to be some on your part, but if you can find some good food plots or if you can't find them, you know, uh, that's the cool thing about Onyx maps. I just, I think they just started that this last year. I don't know if you have Onyx maps, but now they have a crop layer mm -hmm. and I started using that this year. You put the crop layer on, we were doing that this year, actually shed hunting on public or where we were putting cameras. We were looking at the crop layer Mm -hmm. this year they were a year behind so let's say like on public they showed beans it was corn this year and i know it's updated the other day for this for 2021 crop so it will probably stay there so yeah you know usually they all alternate them so you figure they're a year behind so yeah if you got corn stubble i mean them bucks are going to be coming in and out of the public um i always said a lot of the areas I hunt, some of the um, terrain on the public lands is better than your private. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, when they're hunting private land alongside these public pieces, the bucks are coming out of the public into their land. So there's good bucks. I don't, I don't Can I ask you one you more question help, quick? Help you out a little there. And, yeah. Um, so if a guy went scouting in September and you found a bunch of these crop fields on yeah. public, is there a fair chance they'll still be there? Or is there, a, you know, half of them are harvested or um, public it'll stay? Um, I've seen it both ways. Okay. Um, up like where I live, 
Um, there's a lot of areas of public that there's two, two different types of food plots on public. One is um, they lease it to a farmer. Right. They do that around here, too. Yeah. And I think they got to leave. I don't know. I don't think it's probably 10 percent, but they leave. They got to leave a little bit. Right. Usually yeah. leave them in the back or on the outskirts. And the other type is the type that the DNR actually plant. If the DNR plants it, it's staying. I mean, it's not coming out in the majority of time. I mean, unless they have a fail crop, weeds take over a drought. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some pretty good food plots. Now, we, we're known for a lot of droughts out here. So, um, you know, this year was, was a pretty decent year. Two years prior, we had a lot of drought. Um, sometimes the DNR, you know, might be a little later planting them, you know, and that, especially beans that gets into that drought. You know, you got a failed crop or, or, you know, not very good. So it kind of depends on the year there. If there's, you know, if they have a good year, we get some rain, there's going to be a lot of food left. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I don't know. Right. You know, if you ask a DNR, um, you know, kind of what the farmer plants or what they plant, you know, they should tell it, but they won't give you a location. Um, right. No, I get it. Still yeah, I mean the good. farmers. The farmers are usually most time planting them on the edges along roads, where the DNR is picking, you know, spots back. You can see their lanes and stuff back yeah. in. I that's. I mean, that's how I can tell. But, um, yeah, I'm going to uh, so we can start the podcast here. I'm going to add Dan to the the podcast. Sure. Uh, there's Dan. He looks different. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, I was going to say, uh, there are some, uh, <laughs> there are actually some really good, I work in the agriculture industry in my real job, and uh, there are actually some good um, apps for farmers that uh, will show you what the crops were and way more information about crops than what you would, what you actually uh, need for deer hunting. But Like farmers not, only? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not uh yeah i can't even think of the app right now maybe i'll post it or something later on in the comments here oh yeah i'd like to see that too how's it going yeah. Dan? it's going good how are you doing good pretty good hello yep we can hear you dan yep can you hear us, can uh, you hear us? Good. yeah i'm driving home i'm about uh yeah i can hear you fine i'm like uh seven minutes from my house Everybody's saying uh, this is a much better looking Dan. <laughs> All you are is a little, I don't know, a little, not really a stick figure, but uh, uh, that's about it. Um, Zank, do you got anything else for anybody? Or Nope, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for yeah, no problem. Asking, asking a question. Yeah, good luck. Good luck out there this year. What do you got? You got one point, do you? No, I have four. Oh, you'll get drawn easy. Lots of times black powder season, late season is usually in most good areas every other year for um, same as shotguns usually about every other year. Um, yeah. or, you know, bows like up five five points. But. Sure. Well, thanks a lot. Nice to meet All you. All right, man. Yeah. See ya. All right. We got one other caller here. I think his name's Leifer. 
he can correct me if I, I'm wrong here. Hey, man, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Ed's Good. I saw you in the chat. I think I think you said you just had a long question and you didn't feel like typing it out. Yeah, I uh, one of your Q and A's. I tried to type it out before, and uh, I don't know. I didn't quite get my words out properly. So it is um, hard to uh, it is hard to get inside people's minds sometimes. Whenever I always feel bad because I'm like, man, this they probably don't. This is probably not what they're asking, but yeah, we do our best. Sound right. So. Trying to describe yeah. a certain piece of a forest and you know swamp. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a certain bedding area I've been hunting for the last two or three years, um, and I live up in I'm in southern Ontario. So okay. Um, but like from watching your guys's videos, we have the same sort of terrain, like flatland, mm -hmm. swamp, higher land is you know hardwoods, whatever lot of farmland and then you got smaller pockets of bush like 50 acres of you know timber or whatever um we got a lot of white ash swamps and you know the ash trees are all dead and there's alders and dogwoods and all that kind of crap mixed into it right and um i just find that this one area i know it holds you know at least one good buck and uh but i just i can't find a bed like I, there's rubs going in and out of it scrapes here and there but i i don't know i've spent the last three months four months well our season ended in january so three months walking that it's probably maybe 50 acres of this white ash swamp and crap and i just can't find like, i can't pinpoint a specific like one acre area where yeah they're you know, hanging out here or hanging out over there. It just seems to be just an endless mash of this white hash crap. And are you, are you looking in the pockets of um, dogwood and, uh, you know, the thicker brush? Yeah, I do. Like, I check the alders and, like, I'm just, I'm not seeing that specific um, – stereotypical bed that you guys are always showing in your videos where you got the nice matted down bed and a rub beside it you know mm -hmm. like and it's driving me crazy like yeah I you gotta remember too though you know a lot of times that we take pictures and videos of stuff we're taking pictures and videos of the best you know yeah, a lot of times it just thinking. looks like a round spot you know you gotta look really close to tell it's a bed yeah. um but i would think in that terrain you should be able to see the beds yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, and I know they're in there because um, I was on this buck the last 10 days of the season. Our season ends December 31st. And I got a couple cell cameras out. I've been getting pictures of this deer. And I get a picture of him one day, January 3rd, I think, in the morning. So I'm like, all right, I'm going out to see where this deer was. And I'm going to follow his tracks back and backtrack him into this bedding area. So anyways, I go do that. I'm following his tracks. And then sure enough, I see him. He's like 10 yards from me, you know, looks at me. And then he bobs away and he bobs into this bedding area. And even like following his tracks, I eventually just lose his footprints in the swamp. And, and that was the end of it. Like, I don't know where he goes to lie down. Just can't pinpoint this thing. You know, some spots it's harder to see than others, and I guess it probably depends on how many deer you got per square mile and stuff because 
if you're, you know, if they're not laying in the same spot all the time, you're not, they're not going to wear a spot out. Um, but I would imagine that there's uh, areas they come out of. And, I, you know, I get swamps and stuff, too, where you just can't see the beds, but you know where they're coming from. Yeah. As long as you can use sign to find where he's at. Like if you follow a rub line in there or trails in there and they're going into nasty swamp, well, they're not going in there to, uh, you know, hang out. They're going in there to bed. So you can kind of uh, decipher what's bedding and you don't have to know exactly where the beds are. You just have to know how they exit, you know, and enter. Um, yeah. And just take gonna... an educated guess at it is basically all you can do if you can't really find them. Yeah, Usually in that terrain, I can find them. But uh, I probably got a better eye for it. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'll, I'll point out beds to people when I'm scouting with them, and they'll be like, oh, I wouldn't even have known that was a bed. And then you get down and you show them close, you know, the hair and stuff, but you got to really look close, and, and then they get it. But uh, it, it's hard um, in some spots and some terrains, for sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to, like, lately I've been picking out where there's uh, apple trees right on the edge of where mm-hmm. you're gonna drops down to the wet shit and um did you ever go out there in the snow and look i did like in january it was hard right so that's why i spent so much time in there because we didn't have snow but it was frozen and i uh actually okay so one day i got in there pretty deep and i did find where bucks had bedded this was probably the 10th of january i could see they were bedded in the snow and the trees the like i think there were alders that they were bedded under they were rub but i was assuming those rubs were from whatever october november but it just seemed to be that was like you know they bedded there for a day or whatever yeah i didn't really think that was their primary yeah, bed it, it, it might was. it might be or it might not i mean um there's usually a timing to beds i mean i i kind of find that in an area they'll bed there pretty heavy for a two-week period but they leave a little sign you know some rubs some something you know to let you know that that's where it's at but they usually have areas they bet you know so it might not be the same bed every time so it's not all that worn because they'll move around a little bit in like about an acre patch you know of that swamp and uh determining where that little acre is is the, the key and finding the trail that comes out of it you know yeah right yeah man we have we have a piece of public here um, and they've clear cut some of the areas. And so it's not, not super high stem count, but a fairly, um, fairly high stem count, kind of like what you're describing, you know, in Indiana terms, I guess. But, um, and man, I, I can't find a single bed in there. And, but every time you walk in there, you kick deer out of it. They've been bedding in there. And, you know, I've found a big set of sheds in there a couple of years ago, um, but I've never found a big bed in there or, you know, a bed where I was like, Oh, this is where he's bedding. So I do think sometimes people get a little bit, um caught up in like finding a specific bed um it works you know a lot of times whenever it does work but it's not always the case kind of like dan Dan said so we have a lot of scenarios like that in indiana where it's it's super hard to find like this is exactly where he's he's bedding you know you know a general acre but not a um not uh something like you'd find in a marsh cattail marsh or something yeah it makes it a little harder it makes it take a little longer to figure things out and sometimes you gotta you know throw a season or two at it and kind of start narrowing things down. But, uh, you know, the sign, the trails going in and out should, you know, should give you a clue and, uh, you know, take your best guess at it and throw some sits at it. There's lots of rubs on the edge of it, but it seems like I get in there 
I don't know, a hundred yards and the rubs just vanish, you know, but like all on the edge of this thing, you can just follow a rub line for three, 400 yards, bam, bam, rub, rub, rub. Oh, I'm on the edge of this crap. You sure you're not there. bedding on the edge? Well, the edge is high, like it's just poplars and it's thick. Yeah, but they'd have the they'd have the swamp for escape. Um, so if they were bedding there and they had the wind blowing out of the swamp, it'd actually be a fairly decent spot to bed. Um, they could just dive back into the swamp if something came in after them. And the reason I say that is you. You know, if you got ash in there and stuff, you probably got a lot of dead trees. You probably don't have as much cover in that swamp as what they need. They got to have leaf cover. They won't bed out in the open sun. And that edge might have thicker cover, thicker leaves. Um, the poplars or whatever whatever kind of tree you have on the edge might hold leaves longer and be thicker and uh, give them more cover. Um, a lot of times they are better right on the edge. Um, when you get down into... Um, more like where I'm at, they're not as much on the edges because of the hunting pressure. A lot of guys hunt the edges. Then they go in deeper. Um, but I do find them on the edges where the swamps are open. Um, or when I get up into uh, northern regions, like um, when I hunt far northern uh, Minnesota, you know, you, you see the little potholes. You don't see the bucks out in the middle of the, the, the wet stuff. You see them on the edges where there's thick cover, you know, right. leaf cover. Right. Maybe I'll have to give that a look. I mean, I've scoured, scoured the edge of it, but who knows? Yeah, it, it's something where, like, I think when you start finding them, all of a sudden they'll jump out at you. Like, I, I like... hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> Sounds like you got a good spot. I'd throw a hunt at it, man. Oh, I did. Like, I, uh, it's also a pastured land. I remember you guys were talking about pastured place, right? So this is a 500 acre square and uh, somebody runs cows on it from basically spring green up till about November. And uh, it's the best deer hunting there is around. Like it's all, it's all scrub brush and there's huge like 10 acre patches of apple trees. And then this back corner of it is low in this white ash swamp and it's, it's just a deer central plus there's a hundred beef cows roaming around on it. But yeah, you know, I do my best in spots like that, by just staying mobile, you know, you throw a guess at something, it probably don't work, but the next day you throw your guess at something else, you just keep moving, you know, and um, you, you can figure them out pretty quick that way. Cause you hunt down an area pretty fast. I mean, you got sign there, you know, the bucks are somewhere right in that area just keep throwing hunts and moving around where you think they could be bedded and coming out of and you'll probably get on them pretty quick yeah i found that like i i started watching you guys i think maybe in november no i think it was in august i found your guys's channel and uh i don't know it was maybe a month later i bought myself the stand sticks blah 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 and so this year i just ran around mobile and i it seemed like every time i went sat i saw a deer especially down in there. Like every time I hunted down in that nasty spot, I saw a deer. So I think I saw 60, 70 deer this year, whereas regularly I just go out and sit wherever, you know, in a <laughs> chair and, you know, you might see a deer every 10 times or you see a deer five times a year or whatever, but definitely being mobile has uh, helped 
I feel like I'm in the game, like you say, Dan. Yep. Sounds like you're on the right track. It takes some time, though, man. It sounds yeah. like you're just getting started. So, yeah. um, seeing deer, that's a that's a, not a bad thing always. So, all right, man. You got anything else for us? Nope. That's it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks for, for uh, jumping on. Yeah, if anybody else wants to jump me. on here in the next half hour or so, just shoot me a message. I think, uh, uh, thanks Leifer. I don't know if that's your yeah. real name or your, I don't know if that's a Canadian uh, first name or if that's no, a, my name okay. is Colin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're yeah. good, man. All right. Yep. We'll see you. All right. Thanks Bye. guys. Are you still there, Dan? Yeah. I'm trying to get on, on the, uh, computer, computer now. Um, I'm going to, I'm at home throw. now. Okay. I got to hang up on the phone. I'm getting a, getting a, getting a echo. Yeah. Hang up the phone. There. There. I got you out of there. Boy, you really look like you're in the dark today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. This is the, uh, the portion where we're going to start, uh, um, start answering the, the questions in the comments guys. So there's Jacob so, with, all, with all the questions. Maybe I'll, collected. maybe I'll start telling horror stories in the dark, like Dan, like this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like the um, I do not want to um, beat a question to the ground that you guys answered pretty thoroughly. Um, but I struggled a lot. Um, like Colin did there. Um, when I first started hunting beast style, especially when I was hunting really monotonous terrain, like he's talking about. And just really quickly, I'd like to recommend he listen to Joe Elzinger's podcast um, that he did on the Wired to Hunt podcast. That's called something like patterning areas instead of patterning bucks. Um, I've found that a lot of areas that I hunt in, the bedding areas are really active for three days to a week. Um, and I'm going to do some breakdown on this in my next scouting video, but that podcast helped change the way I think about those areas when I can't find a specific bed and that has really helped me. So I just wanted to put that in there really quick. Um, we do have a lot of killer questions though. Um, I guess I'm going to start with just a, a broad one, uh, for Scott, uh, Jimmy and many other people, Jimmy Gammons, uh, recommended to ask you about a story uh, about hunting with Ted Nugent. Yeah. So, if you want to let loose on that one. Oh, I grew up in Michigan and kind of as a young kid. I was a huge rock and roll guy, of course. Now, now I'm way more country. But as a kid, I always looked up to Ted. You know, he was he was a rock and roller and he hunted. There wasn't too many rock and rollers when I was a kid that deer hunted. So, I kind of just took a liking to him. And I always, you know, there was two people. You know, I said I'd like to to meet when I was a little kid. That was Ted Nugent and Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. <laughs> I never met Ozzy, but yeah, I met Ted Nugent. He had a he had a store down in Jackson, Michigan, and um, I don't know. I went in there, met him a couple times, and then he had these hunts coming up. I think the first hunt I did with him, oh, it was like '93, I guess it was. It was just he had a private ranch where we went went and hunt wild wild boars, and um, I think I hunted there two three times with him, but um, yeah, just got kind of got to know him there. 
shot a wild boar the time he was there. And I think one time we hunted without him, but, um, got, I've met his whole family, met his wife, met his, most of his kids, Rocco and Sasha and Toby. I hunted with Toby. That was my second hunt. We went to, went to, um, Northern Quebec. Um, Bob Fulcrod was actually the, he was, he wasn't the elf. There was an outfitter and Bob was like one of the, um, guides up there. And, and he, Ted Nugent went, his son, Toby, and then me. And then there was a young kid from Wisconsin, just the four of us went and hung out with Bob Fulcrod for, I don't know, 10 days or something up in the Leaf River. We flew into, we flew. I went from Detroit to Montreal. That's where I met Ted and Toby. He took us out to dinner at a Japanese steakhouse. And then I think we took another jet up to Kujuwek, Quebec, I think it was. And then we got on a little, I don't know what it was, an otter maybe, like a 12-seat otter. And then we flew back into the Leaf River and we set up camp for whatever it was, could have been eight days. I don't remember now. That was back in 96, I think. And yeah, just every day, you know, just hung out with them the whole time. We all stayed in the same camp. We all took off different directions and hunted every day, of course, but we all shot two caribou. I think Bob Fulcrod shot a bear that week in camp. I don't, I don't think, I think somebody else might've got a bear too, but yeah, it was a good time. Um, but I look, I've always looked up highly to Bob Fulcrod over the years. I've been to his home, I think at least twice in Pennsylvania. Um, used to have that bow hunting school. We went out there and just kind of, you know, two different times went to that. And um, in fact, a couple of years ago, he got, he partnered up with Martin Archery and he asked, he messaged me and asked me if I wanted to shoot a bow, a Martin bow. And just you know sent me you know they, they called me and what i wanted set up as and wasn't you know just here shoot it you know let your friends know you're shooting this martin addicts and that's kind of all he wanted out of the deal i didn't have to sign no sign nothing just shop you know i got a thousand dollar bow you know um just for being his friend i i really like bob he's a good guy and ted nugent was the same i mean you see kind of his radical stuff here and there TV, you know, but just in person to hunt with him. I mean, he was just so laid back and just both great, great people. How well do you know, Ted? Maybe you can uh, get him on the podcast. We'll talk <laughs> to him. <laughs> I don't know him that good anymore. That was, oh, you know, uh, in the 90s. Um, I've, Bob's yeah. a great guy, too. I, I really like Bob Fulkrod. I mean, uh, yeah, he's a real down-earth guy. I've had some oh, conversations yeah. with him. Real nice guy. He had a... Uh, a hunt way, way, way back in the day where he went uh, polar bear hunting. Uh, yeah. And that's still on YouTube. That's yep. a hell of a hunt if anybody ever wants to look it up and see it. It's still floating around out there. I love that hunt. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you watched that one? Yeah, yep. Yeah. He has. He's killed about everything there ever was. Um, I don't know. He's. I yeah, wouldn't back want to be on a list of something he didn't kill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he shot, he went up muskox hunting back then about that time I hunted with him. That was kind of my passion, go up in the Arctic Circle there and, uh, well, Northwest Territories or something, but just never did it. Um, yeah, he's quite an accomplished, accomplished guy. That's awesome. 
Sweet. Yeah, we have a lot for, for Scott. You're a popular dude here. Um, Where are you from? I'm from I'm from uh, Pewaukee, Wisconsin, so southeast Wisconsin, oh. like Dan. But oh, yeah. I, I go to school in southwest Wisconsin, so I I uh, am not too far from you. I'm, I'm a road trip away if you got some good shed hunting spots for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but, about uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no uh, in Iowa. Your son Cody uh popped on and uh first thing he said was that he should be on the podcast and he's a much better hunter. Yeah, um, all right. I may have uh I may have added some liberties to that question. I don't know if he, he actually said that verbatim. Um, he's still in training. Nah, I'm just I'm just messing around. I added that spot. I needed to ruffle some feathers. <laughs> Um, he says someone needs to ask my dad about his favorite hunting spot <laughs> and he put some laughing faces. So I assume that there's some inside joke with that. You might want to tell us about, I don't know. What do you talk about Cody? Somewhere in there. What's my favorite <laughs> hunting spot, Cody? I think he said, throw the coordinates online. I was going to say, he's probably just trying to get you to give up some information. I don't give up my favorite spots, but we got some good ones on public land. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. Okay. Um, yeah, there is sweet. one spot I've killed a lot of. I don't know. Me and my family's probably killed. In the last 12 years, we've probably killed them. I don't know, seven, eight bucks back in there from, oh, you know, one thirty-eight points to uh, I've killed one two hundred seventy-inch deer, maybe a couple one sixty-inch deer, probably. And that's where I found that big shed this year. That you know, he was a hundred seventy-inch buck. But the problem is, every year it gets a little more pressure. But so, but actually, that's how I'm adapting to some of my public land pieces is. Because now that I own that piece of private too, I'm I'm hunting the public primarily heavy on in, during the month of October, before you know all the masses come in in November, and and it's kind of my strategy. Because in October there's hardly anybody out here at all. Um, so yeah, some of these good pieces that's kind of what I've been doing and work, it's working out. I still got a couple of spots I hunt in the rut that you know I can not many people but. Scott, while you're on that, um, Braden Waters asked, what's your favorite week to hunt of the year? Um, if weather conditions are right, I like the last week of October. You know, if the weather's um, cooperates, you can get a really warm week and it sucks. But um, that last week of October, if you get some cold fronts or something, it can be magical. Um, the rut's always good, especially in, you know, Iowa, I mean, bucks are just running crazy, but if you're trying to go after a specific buck, it gets, you know, a little rough, even though I have shot some of my pit list bucks in November. Um, but I like third week of October. I like the first week of October. Um, I've. I've only killed I kill I've only killed one big one the first week of October 170 inch buck on public um I've killed quite a few of them like 
probably from the 20, 20th on, quite a few of them that, you know, uh, it starts, if the weather's cooperating, it starts getting pretty good around the 21st, 22nd, 23rd. The bucks really start picking up, scraping. And then anytime in October with a cold front, I mean, I, I, you don't want to miss a cold front. you got a cold front come in in October. It's it's just, you know, it can be magical. You want to be out there. Um, hey, Scott, you've mentioned a couple times uh, about the hunting pressure the first week in November. Yeah. Uh, out there. Yeah. Would you recommend coming as an out-of-stater, like, opening week or, uh, you know, that last weekend of October? Or is there a certain time you'd recommend someone coming that you'd see the pressure being less? Um, I mean, first week of October is good, but it's one of them things where I say – it helps to know the area. It helps to scout the area. It helps to you know if you're if you're if you never scouted. I mean, yeah, you can get out. You're gonna have to put the miles and find the fresh sign, of course. But I mean, you, yeah, a good good hunter will find the sign. I mean, there's it just really limits you that first week of October. Um, the last week of October, if that's that's the hard part about being a non-resident. If you plan a week's vacation, you come out last week of October, and it's warm. You know they're just not up on their feet like they should be. But if you're flexible and can come out, I would recommend last week of October over November. Uh, um, you know if you can find them scrape lines and you know whatever. That's to me that's that's the best. Now if you're just First week of November, then bucks are running just crazy. You'll see a lot more bucks. I mean, they're running everywhere crazy. They're hard to, you know, hard to pattern, hard to, you know. The closer you get to the rut, middle of November, it's hard to stop them. They're chasing does. But um, there's a lot of people usually on Paula first week of November. But it isn't like some some areas of the country. I mean, you go to a parking lot, you see one car, maybe two cars is a lot. So a lot of them areas are pretty big. The only downfall is you don't know, you know, if they been where you're going set up in an area and if somebody's been there the day before, you know, boogered it up. It can hurt you that way. Um, but there is a lot of area. So if there's people out there, you know, a lot of times you don't even see them. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, got a few we got some really good questions this week, this uh, week, I gotta say. Um, Dave asks, uh, how heavily are those food source public spots you were talking about? How heavily are they pressured? Um, like I talked to the guy earlier, late season, right. late, I mean, you're talking, if you're talking late season muzzleload hunting, not much at all. And there's usually a lot of them that still got food on the ones in the areas I hunt with um you know food plots and they're they're still like i said earlier it depends on you know if there's a drought there's not going to be much food you know they didn't grow that well but if it's good year with you know decent rain rain amounts there'll be a lot of food and not much pressure now as far as bow i don't really hunt on the food anyway you know i'm back in the timber or i would say food sources on public during 
you know, bow season. I, I'm not. If anybody's in there hunting, they're going to go right to that food source, and I don't really hunt them anyway. But I, I would, I don't know. I think they're probably going to get pressured a little bit during during the rut anyway. Just people kind of getting around them. Um, yeah, I guess I haven't hunted many of them in the rut. I have late season, but so getting close to their bedding seems to be a, yeah a good theme with people that have the wall like you do behind you. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, if yeah, I don't know if the food source is a quarter mile away, half a mile, get close to that bedding area. The thicker stem count, the better. We found a piece here. Oh, the end of January, I went in. We, I knew, I knew, um, I knew the private land to the east had a bunch of food plots. We could see one from the road on the opposite side um beans and then we could see corn back in and then we pulled it up on onyx and they had food plots all through this private land piece there was like 400 acres so me and a boy went in i think um like first week of february and we put five six cameras back in there on the public it was a fairly small piece i don't think it was more than a couple hundred acres or so um and then we just pulled the cameras here two weeks ago we had a ton of bucks on it and we, we found, we found, um, I think it was eight or nine sheds back in there. No signs of hunters. It's just a spot. I mean, we found one old ladder stand that the straps had rotted off it. We found, um, we found one spot in the whole area and that was closer to the road that had a paracord where somebody had a stand up and they took it down after season and like a camera lock box, but, um, where we were finding all them sheds, it was a bedding area, a southeast facing ridge. It was way in the back, kind of on a spot that's kind of out of where somebody wouldn't look. Um, and I told Cody, cause we were up on top in this old brushy field, there was rubs all over. And I said, well, let's just go kind of down this way and just kind of see where these deer are coming from in this direction. We went down there and I spotted this shed and so we started looking around. There were sheds everywhere. Um, the stem count on that southeast ridge was when it was butted up to private. It was just high stem count. I have never seen so many rubs in my life on public. It had four, five, six inch rubs. All oh, just rub lines all coming up through that, through, out of that private up that piece. You know, just that little finger of public there. I have never seen so many rubs and and no signs of people in this spot. I, I'm just so geeked to hunt that this year. Yeah. Um, it's one of the best spots I think I've ever found. And, and from the looks of things, and I had all these cameras, so I thought, well, that will give me an idea. We put them out first week of February, pulled them last two weeks ago. That'll give me an idea if somebody's in their shed hunting, because I had them on, you know, main deer trails, main trails going up finger ridges and in the bottom where people will walk. I only had a picture. The whole because shed hunt's pretty big out here. I had a picture of um a couple, guy and lady, and two two Labradors on one camera, and the camera was right next to the private. So I wondered if you know I didn't have on any other cameras. I wondered if they just were shed hunting that private, and you know came over and looked at that little bottom there. Um, but you, I usually don't find pieces like that with lack of pressure like that, you know. So. 
It's uh, it's cool that you mentioned that being a southeast uh, slope too. Yeah. Or you said southeast, right? Yeah. Southeast. So the sheds were in there, and the sheds were in there, and that was one of their major bedding areas. I mean, I can yeah. tell by all the sign. We've seen beds all over in there, and yeah, um, your 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 west northwest winds. That's your most common wind typically too. Yeah. Right by me too. So that that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Combine it with that thick cover too. I find in the hills here. When there's a, you might have a good leeward side, but if it's lacking thick cover, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's perfect. So yeah, the, the, so me and the boy went back up the following day and we kind of, you know, picked out a couple tree stand spots, marked them on our onyx. And that's, that's what we kind of, where they're coming up out of here, we're set up better for north wind, northeast wind, um, but we can probably get away with a northwest wind. I'll probably place some cameras up there and just kind of see, you know, they're cutting they're cutting that edge a little bit where, you know, just depends. But if we go on a high-pressure morning, thermal's rising, even with that northwest, should be able to get away with it. But I, I'm thinking where they're coming up out of that thick stuff, it's like an open, open, um, open timber with acorn, oak trees everywhere. And you can see all the, just in that open stuff where there's staging up, there's rubs just everywhere, you know, more of the, where they're feeding, browsing around just the little, little rubs or they're just going around in October, you know, rubbing up everything they see. And, and I, I think it's going to be a good early season spot. They come up out of there and hit them acorns in um, October. So, yeah. We're due for a good crop this year too, hopefully. Yeah. Um, we had a decent one last year out here. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it was okay by us. It dropped super early. The red oaks are better than the whites last year for me. We um, had them everywhere last year. Yeah. It, sometimes it's hard for me to key on them. But uh, Eric Jeske asked a really good comment. He said, Scott, what was your most noticeable turning point in your success as a hunter? And if there was one thing that you could attribute all your success to or most of your success to, what would that be? Uh, I'm leaving Michigan. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say that as a joke. <laughs> um, yeah, back when I was young, we used to just kill tons of does and yearling bucks. And um, I think I always said when, you know, I was just a kid, um, late teenager. I mean, the biggest thing for me when I just started playing the wind, well, the first few years, I just go out and sit in a random tree stand, and then I started playing the wind, and that's when, you know, I really started seeing the bucks. But, um, um, you know, later on in life, got to, you know, the bedding areas and, you know, how the – getting to know the terrain. I mean, back when I start, back in my 20s, we didn't have phones. We didn't have – we didn't really didn't even have aerial photos. I did everything from topo maps. We, when I first started going down to Ohio, um, down in some of them hilly counties, Muskegon and Vinton and stuff, um, I would buy, you know, the big sheets sheets of topo topo maps, and I started learning maps and you know reading the terrain features, and then they would just kind of have the timber shaded on the maps I was getting, and but I learned a lot off. You know, reading maps back in my, that was probably, you know, in my mid-20s or so, or reading the maps and hunting the saddles and, you know, all that. That, that was huge, and it still is. I, I read a lot of maps when, I mean, nowadays it's easy. You can 
just pull up your app. And, you know, I, I look at friends of mine that, you know, are hunters and I say, you got, you know, Onyx maps or any of the map and stuff. So they, they go, no. And it's like, why? I mean, all this stuff is free to you these days. I mean, basically free. Sometimes there's a small fee for map apps, but you know, ever since I was a kid, I was buying all these topple maps and, I don't know. Some people just don't get it, but yeah. Scott, if you want to see someone go insane on e-scouting, you should watch my most recent video on the hunting beast because I go probably way too far in depth in that video. Yeah, I like um, to see that. <laughs> yeah, um, we got a good one um, from uh, Jesus is King. Uh, he says Dan talks about how the absolute monster bucks are always doing something different or are really hard to hunt. Have you experienced the same thing? Yeah, so yeah, of course. Um, it, it depends on every buck has a different. Um, they're they're all different personality. I mean, some some I can pattern to a T, and just some are like ghosts. You know, you can't you can't ever get on them or. Uh, in Iowa, I don't have as much as a problem with nocturnal. If you're close to your bedding, you'll, you know, you'll get pictures of them. You'll, you'll see them. I mean, you can booger them up, and I don't know if they really don't go nocturnal. They just take off to a different, you know, whatever, ridge over a couple hundred yards. But, um, um, yeah, every deer is different. I mean, I pattern some easy, and some are just hard to. You know, hunt them for two, three years, and hopefully you get a crack at them. You never do, but um, I guess that's all I can yeah. say about that. Yeah. Um, Kyle Howard asks, what would be one piece of advice you would give to a non-resident to have success in public on Iowa? Scout. Um, yeah, the biggest thing, like I mentioned earlier, if you can get out here and scout, I mean, it just ups your, ups your odds, of course, you know, especially if you only have a limited amount of time because you're, when you get out here in November or whatever, you know, you're going to spend most of your time scouting, looking for sign. If you, if you can get out here, you know, some guys got four or five years where they, um, you know, get drawed. So yeah, get out here in the spring and, February, still some snow on the ground. I, I like my favorite March. Um, you can come out right till probably middle of April, the next week or two. It's, you know, it's it's still not greened up enough where you can still see a lot of sign. I mean, that's that was huge for me. Like I said, when I was a non-resident living in Michigan, I every, for five, six years prior to moving here, my kids would have their spring break. And, you know, where they were going with me, we were taking their spring break in Iowa. I'd get a nice cabin so they could, you know, play and hang out. And um, I just spent a week out in the woods, you know, every spring out here. I didn't even live here. Just went out and scouted my ass off. I'd mark stands locations. And, you know, I put some major miles on. And I still do. Like I said earlier, I've, we probably put 100 miles on her since end of January till now, just mainly on weekends. Um, yeah, scout, scout, you know, is what I can say. And if you can't, just e-scout. That's why some of my friends that come out here, you know, they don't even 
they're not even, you know, looking at maps beforehand. They just think they can show up, you know, and just start walking, you know. Yeah, if anything, if you can't put boots on the ground, look at maps and, you know, study scout. Just study them maps before you get here. Have areas picked out. and But, it, you know, that isn't going to tell you everything. you got to put boots on the ground and you know, look at the areas. But, yeah. yeah, that's the biggest thing for anybody. Absolutely. Uh, we got one. Uh, we got a couple for Dan that Scott, you might want to weigh in after his response to uh, William Fountain asks if you have high access and the deer are feeding in the low in a gentle thermal hub um, and they don't start feeding until the thermals drop late in the afternoon and the thick is in the bottom and open is on top. How would you access or set up? And I can, if you guys have questions on that, I can review that or repeat that. So why don't you go ahead and take that one, Dan? That's, so he's saying he has access from the top and the deer are feeding and bedding in the in low? Yeah, so he said access up top. He said the feeding is low in a gentle thermal hub and that it's thick. He didn't mention anything uh, towards bedding. He also said that they don't start feeding until the thermals drop and it's very open on the top sides. Well, I mean, if the deer aren't up top, you can't really hunt them up top. So I'd probably be looking for a specific wind um, because uh, hunting down in a thermal hub is going to cause a lot of swirling and stuff. So I'd be looking for a specific wind that blows down the valley. One way or another out of that bottom is going to be a valley that goes lower. And I'd want to come in from that valley if I had to circle around or whatever I had to do. Um, even if I had to access uh, before daylight in the morning and get down there. Um, but I'd want the wind of the day to be blowing the same way as the dropping thermals going down the valley. Um, then I think it can be hunted down low if the deer are down low. Mm -hmm. But you can't have any kind of crosswind or you'll get swirling in those. Yeah. Uh, very occasionally I found if there's like a couple cedars like on a point um, and there's kind of a thermal hub below and you have that thermal rising most of the day Sometimes in the pre-rut, a buck will be bedded on that point, catching that thermal all day from where those does are bedding in the thick down below. But that's a very niche window. Um, and yeah, that's a it's really, really tough to try to sit in one of those thermal hubs in, in hill country. Yeah, the only way I've seen it, seen it beat is getting when they're coming out, when they come out of the thermal hub, or when you get a wind that blows straight down the valley. And that's the only way I've ever been able to beat it. Yeah. You get any of that, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple spots. Um, oh, down low, um, just tons of bucks on camera. And it got all these kind of points come down. And um, that's the only way I I tried hunting it this last year because every year I have just a ton of big bucks down in this low spot. And I went down there, I think, first week of October I thought with a northwest wind, I could kind of, it would kind of go off one of them, you know, low spots there, but it just, it, it was swirling on me. So I figured I had to, the only time I, I went in an evening hunt, but the only time I figured, and I tried it after that, it had to be, um, you know, high pressure morning and actually my thermals kind of went up because I was sitting down in the bottom. And it actually worked pretty good like that. And, and I had to, you know, a certain low speed win if it was too gusty, you know, it wouldn't work just whatever, three, four, five mile an hour win and high pressure for first couple hours in the morning. And 
it, it worked pretty good with me hunting down low if that's kind of what you were asking but um and as far as access i had that that spot i had like a creek that i came up it was right along a creek i just walked in that whole creek and walked around got right up in the tree i didn't have to walk across any deer trails or nothing but um it's a very touchy spot you can lay on it when the conditions are absolutely right but you know it's kind of like you got to just take one of those spots you got to rip it apart in every spot yeah. scenario yeah I you mean, got to some things in some spots and other spots you can't yeah you got to hunt it and just kind of see what happens i guess take what you think's going to work and do it you know yeah the, the one good thing about it is those thermals um generally repeat themselves so if you get the wind down and the thermals down then you know and you figure out what works it'll it'll work again the next time you get the same conditions but a lot of times uh like like scott alluded to you can get uh, where you think you need a straight northwest wind and it'll blow right down the valley and when you get down to a northwest wind the way it hits those hills turns it yeah that's it what you north <laughs> when it looks like you need a northwest and you got to figure that out by trial and error yeah it sucks when you're trying to kill a buck and you got to get in there and, and figure it out by spooking the buck but it's kind of the way that yeah. works. It really doesn't work to go in there like this time of the year and check the thermals and winds and stuff. Sometimes you can get away with it, but it kind of changes once there's leaf cover on those trees and stuff. Mm -hmm. I forget um, who it was, but I saw a few guys use a really deep cutout drainage where the airflow seemed to flow straight down it. Um, and I've used in the past spring-fed creeks coming from above. And if you can hunt low enough, you sometimes you can get that colder water to suck your thermal down. Um, sometimes it's no matter what time of the day it is, the warmer it is outside, sometimes the better, but that's, it doesn't always work. And like you said, Dan, you got to try that in season with milkweed to know what's actually going to happen there. Real steep, steep terrain. I've never seen, uh, anything stop that thermal from rising, not even cold water. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was pretty much standing in it and it would only happen for so long. Um, but yeah, if I was any... It, the only reason is it was about 10 feet of drainage on either side. And my stand was as if I was standing eye level with the ground. It wasn't a good setup to kill a deer at all, but it was the only time I got my thermal to do something weird. Um, let's do, let's we, do one more. So I, I want to emphasize to you guys that these questions that are unanswered, we, we've got five left and we can get to one right now. Um, everything that's unanswered is going to be on the forum. And so I invite everyone, uh, including the guys on the podcast right now, to come and answer those questions and then maybe drop some of your own that you'd like to have answered. Um, but a last one here from Buck Slayer. Uh, he says, how many cams does Scott run? And I said, he said, he know, he's really big on historical data. He can break down his methods on storing pictures and also how he does inventory on his data using Onyx. Um, and then Dan, if you want to touch on how you use trail cameras too, um, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I run a lot of cameras. Um, I don't know how many I have. I lost count, but um, got quite a few. I I kind of let them soak mostly. I, I especially on public land, we we set them in. I got a few. I set out in July, just kind of see what I get in summertime inventory. I really amp them up in September. Um, then I get more of the scrapes. In the last couple of years, with my Onyx maps. You know, I'll mark all them scrapes I, this time of year when I'm finding good primary scrapes or, you know, just look good and thick, 
thick, high stem count areas, a lot of rubs. Scrapes, I'm marking them. I'm just marking a spot. And then I'll go back in September and put cameras on these, um, you know, whether it be a couple in an area or whatever. If it depends on the bucks, I'm getting, you know, if I know a lot of bucks in the area, I'll put more. But, um, and I'll let them sit. Sometimes they'll sit till March and never look at them. If I'm up there hunting in the area, um, I'll check them. You know, I don't, if I'm on a lot of pieces, I won't have time, you know, to, to check them all. So someone will sit all year and I, I won't see them again. And then I take everything I learn a lot. I mean, more and more of the last few years, I, I'm setting these cameras to learn about next year's deer, you know, their patterns. I, I, I learned so much off my cameras on just next year's deer, you know, how them deer travel through the area, how, you know, the times, you know, morning, nights, directions of travel. Um, I just, I've learned so much off my cameras data. It's just unbelievable. Um, and as far as saving them, that data, just on my laptop, I mainly like, like a public land piece, you know, I'll say name the piece, whatever piece it is. Most of the time, I'm just saving the buck pictures, you know, three and a half years old and bigger, um, older, unless it's a really distinguishable two-year-old or something, which I got some once in a while, like a six-by-six six or something freaky, you know, young deer, because I've had pictures of bucks on public land for four, five, six years sometimes. And um, so, yeah, I'll just mark, keep them per area. Now, if I got a really hot spot like I did this year, a couple hot spots were just buck after buck after buck, I'll save the whole card. So when I get ready to hunt it next year, I can go over that whole card and just kind of see the patterns, not only the doe, but the bucks, the times, you know, there's so much valuable information. I save the whole card. It's kind of a pain going through them, but. The, the data is just so valuable on, on the deer movement overall in general. But most of the time I'm just saving buck pictures. And, you know, then I, I go back through them, you know, just what's there. Just, you know, everything I've learned kind of. Um, is that basically what he wanted? or? To... Yeah, yeah. Um, you do most of that saving in Onyx. Do you mark? like your your sign or when you're seeing things in on X too? Yeah, I mark, yeah, scrapes, rub rub lines, um, heavy deer crossings like on creeks, um, intersection of trails. I also, since we run a lot of cameras, I, I save my cameras on Onyx. I mark them. I usually don't have a problem. Very rare do I forget about a camera. I don't, I just get that instinct to know you know people go how, how do you keep track of all the cameras but <laughs> it's just you just remember because you get to know the area is so good or i don't know it's just you know i i remember all the bucks a lot of the bucks especially the distinguishable ones you know i don't even have to look at a picture i just kind of they're imprinted in my head you know um but yeah basically the onyx has been huge for me last couple years just getting in and out of areas i mean that's been huge it just saves a lot of you put them foot tracker down and you go right to your spot you know um yeah they're huge getting in and out of area or you know you got to go this way try to come in a certain way onyx it, for me has been huge mm -hmm. 
Dan, you want to touch on your, your trail camera strategy, how you kind of use those? So for me, there's several ways I use them. Um, I like to put them uh, in season on uh, food sources or high traffic areas um, where I know the mature bucks that are in the area are probably going to go through at some point in time, whether it be in the middle of the night or what. I'm not necessarily looking for pictures to mount on my wall. I'm looking for deer to mount on my wall. So I just got to know that the deer lives there. So if he's coming to feed in a, a certain food source and I can capture him there, then I know he exists, then I can hunt him. So another thing I do is I'll drop cameras um, uh, like on the exit of a bedding area and just leave them for a season. And then I get the intel of what time period that the deer are using those bedding areas. And that's been really key to me because there seems to be a two week period when uh, each different kind of bedding area gets used the most. Um, so you might have one that, you know, for the first two weeks of October gets pounded. You might have one that's only before October even starts. You might have a, a bedding area that's the last week of October and you might have a rut bedding area that's only used a week of November. You find that out by having a camera there the whole season. You know, um, and then you can kind of uh, see if you're guessing in your detective work when you're looking at the bedding area was right. Um, and the other way is to put like a cell camera in a, in, a, in a core area, like in a kill area, and just leave it. And when you get intel that the buck is in there, then you move in for the kill. Yeah, that's, that sounds great. All Josh. right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for getting on. Thanks for uh, Scott and, and Dan for hopping on here and Jacob for doing the questions. Seems like it just uh, it, Yeah, <laughs> we've all been there almost two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and everyone was worried. Maybe I just got here, sleep. right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, no, uh, Pretty cool, guys. Everybody kind of hung in there, too. Our, our numbers were pretty consistently pretty high the whole time. So thanks for hanging in there with us. The chat was really good this uh, this time around. You guys had me uh, cracking up inside a few times. Uh, I was trying to hold back from laughing out loud. But um, next week we have Jason Samkowiak on. Um, he's another Michigan guy. Um, Jason lived in Michigan, I think, his whole life, and he just recently moved to Georgia and hunts down there now. So pretty unique. He's a traditional bow hunter and seems to kill a few deer with that longbow every year. So. Um, He's going to come on. He has a lot of good information. He's really knowledgeable about gear too. So, um, yep. That's what you guys get to look forward to, um, next week. And then, I don't know, me and Dan been brainstorming other ideas. We thought about doing some, like, um, uh, talking about our top bucks we've ever killed and, um, things like that. So oh, those are some ideas. ideas I like we have. That. Yeah, yeah. Scott, that was a question for you this time too. So if you're on the forum at all, that question is going to be posted there. So, and, and I've, I've heard some of your other podcasts, you are fantastic at kind of explaining those stories and the process. Yeah, and everything. I, I'm a better, I'm a better storyteller than I am, you know, <laughs> asking questions and, you know, getting into detail. I said, I'm not, well, a, not a good teacher. I'm not a really good speaker, but I can tell stories. <laughs> that would be great. You're pretty good at killing stuff too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's yeah. three of the people on this podcast. You're allowed to, uh. You're allowed to get come on again, Scott. So maybe we'll have you on again. We can uh, talk a little more specifically about uh, uh, the deer you killed. So um, obviously we we had plenty to talk about today. So we're we're running it two hours here. Um, everybody, thanks for hopping on, and we'll see you next Thursday, probably around the same time, maybe a little earlier. 
Um, it's getting pretty late for me here. I'm a nine o'clock go to bed kind of guy. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, guys, take it easy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, talk to Thank you next you. week. See you guys.